In a recent poll conducted among young adults who have decided to leave the faith, 87%, get that number in your head today, 87% said that the number one reason they left the church is because the church is just too judgmental. And if you hang out around the church long enough, you're going to kind of see what they mean. I promise you, I hang out around the church a whole lot. And you just kind of get judged. In fact, some of you are judging me right now. (laughs) Hang out around the church long enough and it just kind of happens. You get judged and the church just seems to be this incubator for this sort of thing. Generally speaking, there are two kinds of judges, I think, that roam the hallways of churches. The first kind sits up high on their throne, and their throne teeters on top of doctrine and belief. You know these people. They listen really carefully to what you say you believe. They listen carefully to how you tell your faith story, so carefully to how you talk about God. And if you don't say it in the right words, if you don't say it in the right order, you watch them. They just start looking through you as though you're not exactly a real Christian. When, when were you saved? Where were you saved? What prayer did you pray in order to get saved? Can you give me the exact time and date of that occurrence? Can you? Can you tell me that? And then they just kind of look at you, judging whether or not what you believe gets your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's another kind of judger, though, who roams the halls of churches. This one has built their throne within the high castle of social justice. They don't really care what you believe. They're watching what you do. What have you personally done to loose the bonds of injustice today? What have you done to address world hunger, world poverty today? Can you tell me how you've raged against those machinations of the capitalistic machine, the way it dehumanizes us? What have you done today to dismantle oppression? What have you done? Huh? What have you done? And then they just kind of look at you. They both have that same look. These judgers. Chris and I actually have a name for it. We call it the crazy Christian eye. You hang around the church long enough and you can see it coming from a mile away. And these people who just look at you and through you trying to deem whether or not what you believe is worthy of God and what you do or whether what you do is worthy of of you being drafted onto God's team. I would wager a guess that most of us here today know what it feels like to be judged. I would also wager a guess that most of us here today don't like it. Generally speaking, not a big fan of it. I would wager a guess that that is exactly why you have made your way into a church like this one, right? You know, we call this the mainline church. You know those, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, those Lutherans. Basically, this large gathering of people who have come to the conclusion that really, we just don't want to be judgmental. We might not really say much of consequence. 
We might not really do much. We're certainly not going to demand a whole heck of a lot of you. But we have all come to the decision commonly that, look, let's just not judge each other, okay? I mean, maybe we can agree on that. I mean, you be you, I'll be me, you do you, I'll do me, and we'll just all be okay. We'll coexist. These are the unspoken membership vows that kind of hover around mainline churches. And the net result, basically, that comes out of that kind of vow to just not judge each other is that we get this sort of amorphous goo that really doesn't say much at all. We're too scared of coming across as judgmental or even worse, being judged ourselves. Try to nail us down on a topic and it's like trying to nail jello to a wall. We just kind of ooze, right? We don't want to say something that might upset someone. We don't want to say something that might make us sound judgmental because the one thing we all know is that we just don't want to be judgmental. We get why those young adults have left the church. Except in sheer contrast to this, those of us in the mainline church have hung on to this thing called the creed. And right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of the creed, is in the heart of the creed, we claim that we believe in judgment. And chances are, this is the one phrase so far that gives you the most trouble. God the Father, got it. Jesus, yeah, I know him. I kind of like him. Virgin birth, eh, sounds a bit fantastical, but I'll bite or I'll be okay if you bite. But God will come again to judge the living and the dead. It's a deal breaker for us. Why in the world would those of us who gather together in these sorts of churches who have made it our vow to never be judgmental, why in the world would we stand up and profess that we believe in judgment? Why would we stand up and profess that that's something we believe God's up to in the world? And how in the world is this good news for us as people who say we carry good news to the world? How is this good news? And why are we supposed to live our lives as though judgment matters? When I was in college, one of my good friends actually it was a co-president with me of our class, lost his mother. And it was one of the most tragic stories. His stepfather was struggling with some mental illness and ended his own life, not before ending his mom's first. And he's away at college preparing to be a pastor, and he gets that call. His mom was everything to him. His calling into ministry was built on the back of her faith and service to the church his entire life. It was tragic, awful. Just a few months after, we were in a preaching class together, and in a quiet moment in between lectures, I cut the silence with that stupid question. You know that question. So, so how you doing? And he looks out the window. He would not look at me. And he, and he said, you know, I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering how I'm going to know if I'm doing good. 
stupidly. I thought he was talking about preaching. I thought he was missing his mom's attaboy at her son, the preacher. A woman who, having heard thousands upon thousands of good and bad sermons in her lifetime, could be a sounding board to him. Stupidly, I thought he was talking about preaching. So I said, well, you'll, you'll get your manuscript back from the professor and there'll be some notes in the margin. That's how you know, right? In retrospect, I realized he wasn't talking about the vocation of pastor or preacher at all. He, he was talking about his life, how he was going to know if he was doing good. How was he going to know? Who was going to encourage him to live into that divine potential that he carried now? Who was going to hold him accountable when he started to stray off path? Who was going to sit with him at the end of the day and deem his life worthy of consideration? How'd you do? My friend taught me something that day. He taught me that perhaps... The only thing worse than being judged is having a life so inconsequential that it's not worth being considered at all. When we stand and profess in the creed that we believe Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead, what we're professing is that we believe that every human life that has ever lived is worthy of a consideration. That every life has potential and beauty and purpose and the one who created us with that purpose in mind loves us enough to consider how we're living the life God gave us. Matthew chapter 25 has consistently been this main text for the church, vivifying the church's imagination around judgment, what that last consideration is going to look like. Did you hear the list of what Jesus said God would be considering our lives based on? I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was imprisoned, and you visited me. I was sick, and you cared for me. Do you hear those things? Do you hear the tender care that is associated with each one of those duties? Do you hear how humanity becomes the agent for tending to life, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the stranger? Do you hear how deeply intimate and personal and vulnerable it all is? Does it sound at all to you like maybe a gardener? Giving food, giving drink, covering when needed, tending to when not well, helping release things into life? Do you hear humanity's shared intimate vocation to tend to life? And do you hear in that the echoes of the first creation story, where God created us and put us in the garden and called us to join God in the task of tending to life? 
That's, that's your job. That's your vocation. That's what it's all about. Wherever your patch of the garden is, 22315, 22310. Eventually, though, we started to tend to death rather than tending to life. And all these other things, you know those things, that were unintended started sneaking into our gardens. And then Jesus comes and walks among us and he embodies for us exactly what humanity was meant to do. He walks in our shoes and reminds us of that intimate, personal, vulnerable vocation that goes all the way back to the garden. That we're called to tend to life wherever we are. And then, at the end of Jesus' story, right before the ascension, we meet him outside the tomb, and who did we think he was? You remember? That's right. Yeah, we thought he was the gardener. He reminded us of something. Maybe he reminded us of ourselves, of our intended selves, who we were called to be from the very start. That's why the early church started calling Jesus the new Adam. He's the first of this new people we get baptized into. Have you ever heard the new Adam? Yeah, the early church called Jesus the new Adam He and how he lives becomes the new standard by which we live our lives and for how our lives might be considered when asked, hey, saints, how'd you do? Church, Jesus is the bar. That's it. How do you know if you're living a good life? Does it look like Jesus? Are you tending to life in whatever garden you find yourself in? Because we believe that that's what we're judged on, both while we're living and we all know the hell of tending to a dream or a relationship or a purpose that is as good as death, dead in this life, right? Both while we're living and in the judgment to come. In that grand judgment, when God will take each one of us and all of us and deem our lives worthy of consideration, How'd you do, my child? And I promise you, when that happens on this side of the grave and on the other side of the grave, that that judgment will be done with the care and the gentleness and the intimacy of a gardener tending to his vulnerable plot of land. I promise you that that judgment, that consideration will be done with the care lived in feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and welcoming the stranger and visiting the poor. I promise you that that judgment will be done in love because it's done by the one who created each one of us, gave us gifts to tend to life and loves us enough to deem even our lives worthy of a consideration.